This is a Federal News Network podcast. The debt ceiling is looming closer and a government shutdown is only a couple of weeks away. And the mask mandate continues to royal Congress. For a look at the week ahead on the Hill, WTOP Capitol Hill correspondent Mitchell Miller. And before we get to the Hill, though, Mitchell, I wanted to ask you about the latest executive order, something we haven't seen in a few years here, and that is regarding the workplace protections for federal contractors when a contract gets switched from one company to another. Right. This is generating a lot of discussion, as you know. President Biden signing this executive order last week that limits turnover for federal service contract workers, offering them basically the right of first refusal when a contract changes hands. So under that order, a contract is transferred from one contractor to another. Employees from the previous contract who did their jobs must also have to be offered the opportunity to keep their jobs working for the new contractor. And this has extensive implications, as you know, covering more than 2 million federal contractors throughout the industry. Now, the White House says the order will reduce turnover among workers who fulfill their critical roles and do federal operations. But as you're also aware, it's getting pushback because some contractors or agencies, they don't like the contractor and they're trying to move on. Maybe there were problems. Maybe there were issues with turnover or with employees that didn't show up or they didn't get things done on time. So this is generating a lot of discussion here. Yes, I can imagine what would happen. Let's switch to the other contractor because Larry, the engineer on this one, is terrible. And next thing you know, you switch contractors and there's Larry again working for the new company. Besides, one association head told me already that besides that issue is the fact that the companies that trained and promoted and otherwise took care of these employees, why should they have to give them up to another company when they could use the same workforce to go after other contracts? Exactly, because a lot of these costs, as you know, are generated in that training process, and just getting them up to speed on these contractors can take a lot of money and a lot of time. So there's a there's some controversy related to this. Uh, the, some of the contractors say, yes, we know what the White House was trying to do here. This is another example of a quote-unquote well-intentioned idea from the federal government, but there's definitely a lot of concern about it. And has that come up on the Hill, too? Do they discuss it up there also? Well, they're going to be discussing this because, as you mentioned, uh, many of these lawmakers that represent areas that have contractors, and of course we have a lot of them here in the Washington area, are making their concerns known. So I have a feeling that the lawmakers are going to make some tweaks and, and try to see if they can alter this a little bit so that it is more favorable to allowing the contractors to do what they need to do efficiently. All right. And today is the deadline for vaccinations to switch gears here for a minute. And the White House is holding the line on that. Again, what's the reaction on the Hill? Well, you know, there is uh, basically a feeling here, mainly among the lawmakers, that everything needs to hold as the administration wants it on these vaccination requirements, at least more so on the Democratic side. There is some pushback among Republicans who don't like these mandates, but they are saying that, and the White House reiterated last week that today's deadline is going to stand. Now, the American Federation of Government Employees, representing 700,000 federal workers, as you know, uh, has tried to get this to be pushed back, but the Biden administration basically held firm last week and said this date would not be changed. Now, going back to contractors, federal contractors, it has been pushed back. They have until January 4th. But there again, there have been some issues. Uh, They are not giving the contractors the option of giving weekly tests to employees. And also, as this gets uh, kicked around in the courts with OSHA,
OSHA and private contractors and private businesses, uh, we're going to see some issues percolating, I think, on that front. But at least for now, in terms of the overall federal employees, this deadline today is standing. All right. Well, I can see what the uh, Thanksgiving dinner tables around the country are going to be like. You want the drumstick? Show me your vaccination card. Right. Exactly. <laughs> We're speaking with Mitchell Miller, Capitol Hill correspondent for WTOP. And turning to purely, at this point, congressional issues, we do have this debt limit deadline coming up and also the deadline for the budget as the continuing resolution starts to expire. What do you see ahead going on this week? Well, this is a familiar picture. We've seen this movie before, right? Uh, Everything starts to pile up in November and then into December as we get close to those deadlines. So first, on the debt limit, there is actually some encouraging news related to that. Uh, There was a lot of gloom and doom the last time this issue came about, but Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer met with Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell last week, and by all indications, there is some comedy in there, C-O-M-I-T-Y, as opposed to the other comedy, uh, in terms of what they might actually both be able to agree to. And it appears that uh, the Democrats are now trying to set things up so that basically through reconciliation, they on their own could actually raise the debt limit. And McConnell has given some indications that he wouldn't throw any uh, wrenches into the wheels on that. So we'll see where that goes, because as you know, Uh, The Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has said uh, the nation could default on its debt as soon as December 15th. There could be some wiggle room on that, but at least some uh, encouraging news on that front. And then related to the December 3rd latest deadline in connection with a possible government shutdown, no one really on the Hill feels that there's going to be a shutdown, but the arguments are going back and forth about how long this short-term continuing resolution is going to be. Some Democrats are now saying maybe they should just do it for a very short period of time, maybe even only two weeks, that argument is because they're saying they don't want to be locked into a longer CR that would basically freeze those limits that were set under the Trump administration. I was speaking with Virginia Senator uh, Mark Warner about this, who's very steeped in these budgetary and financial issues. He does not really like the idea of going to a short term. He'd like to see something longer term, in fact, very long term, if they could ever agree to it. Uh, But we'll see what happens there. And finally, the mask mandates continue to roil the Hill itself, and some representatives have gotten big fines for not using their masks. This, as D.C., I think, follows Montgomery County today and going back to the indoor mask mandates. Yeah, this is really interesting because in some respects, the U.S. Capitol is almost like on an island here because even though it is in uh, effectively in D.C., although on federal property, um, these mask guidelines have changed in D.C., as you know, as of today. But in Congress, at least for now, um, the House Speaker uh, Nancy Pelosi has indicated that these mask mandates will stay in effect for now. When they were taking up the huge, massive spending bill that the president has proposed, everybody had masks on pretty much in the chamber. Now, there have been some exceptions, and one of them notably is Georgia Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, who has made a very significant effort to protest these mask mandates. In fact, she's already racked up more than $60,000 in fines. Right now, if she 
she were to keep on that track and they don't change any of the restrictions, she could actually top more than 100,000 by the end of the year. So a really interesting situation there. There's others that also have racked up some fines, although she is definitely high on that one. I will say, in connection with being in the Capitol, when you walk around, everybody still is wearing their masks for the most part. Here and there, you'll see people that are not. But at least for the moment, uh, these masks are staying on and there is a mask mandate here at the U.S. Capitol. Maybe they should call that the island of Dr. Moreau, the way things are going <laughs> right. there. Mitchell Miller is Capitol Hill correspondent for WTOP. Thanks so much and have a great Thanksgiving. You too. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from sea to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but 
uh, the quality that that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they gonna say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. 
and thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally and, agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. As prices keep creeping up, your entertainment budget doesn't have to take a hit. Live One Plus has all the music you love, ad-free for only $3.99 per month. Dive into Live One's massive library of songs, listen to curated playlists, or create your own. Check out exclusive artist-hosted stations and do it all for the best price in streaming. Lock in a Live One Plus membership for just $3.99 per month now, and you'll not only beat inflation, you'll get all your favorite music ad-free. Check out liveone.com slash best music for details. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.